All right. Is it still my turn? Is it okay? All right. Turn, if you would, in your Bibles to the book of Hebrews. Book of Hebrews, chapter 6. We'll pick up where we left off. Uh, whenever we left off, uh, I tell you, I appreciate Brother Case and all of those who have uh, helped uh, in this time, these last couple of weeks. And uh, I know uh, somebody's going to say, well, I don't know why in the world he's doing that, but I'm taking a vacation next week. Uh, what I've been on has not been a vacation. So next Sunday, I'm not going to be here. Brother Case is going to be filling in, and Brother Nathan be helping there too. And uh, so I'm, I'm excited just to get away with my family for a week. And uh, we're excited about that. Uh, but thank you for being here today. In uh, Hebrews chapter 6, uh, somebody said, well, I came to hear a Father's Day sermon. Just hold on. It, it'll turn into that before it's over with. Just don't get in a hurry. There's no place that you'd rather be than in a cool air-conditioned place. So I've been told I've got to 4 o'clock today. Uh, so praise the Lord. Amen. In Hebrews chapter 6, beginning in verse 13, would you stand please in honor of God's holy, inspired, inerrant, all-sufficient word. The Bible says, for when God made promise to Abraham, because he could swear by no greater, he swore by himself, saying, surely blessing, I will bless thee, and multiplying, I'll multiply thee. And so after he had patiently endured, he obtained the promise. For men verily swear by the greater, and an oath for confirmation is to them an end of all strife, wherein God, willing more abundantly to show unto the heirs of promise the immutability of his counsel, confirmed it by an oath, that by two immutable things in which it was impossible for God to lie, we might have a strong consolation who have fled for refuge to lay uphold upon the hope set before us which hope we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, and which entereth into that within the veil. Whether the forerunner is for us entered, even Jesus made an high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Let's pray. Father, thank you uh, this morning for the joy to be able to come into your house. Thank you as we read these scriptures. My, 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 what a mighty God we have. Thank you, Lord Jesus. We speak the name of Jesus in this place today and ask you to touch hearts. Lord, those that need encouraging, Lord, would you encourage them. Those that need being saved, I pray today would be their day of salvation. Others in this place, Lord, have a burden and have a need. I pray that you'll meet those needs as only you can. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Ray Boltz uh, wrote a song and many years ago, I've journeyed through the long dark night out on the open seas by faith unknown, sight unknown, and yet his eyes were watching me. And the chorus said, the anchor holds though the ship is battered, the anchor holds though the sails are torn, I've fallen on my knees as I face the raging seas, the anchor holds in spite of the storms. I want to tell you that is so true. In 1991, there was a storm stronger than any other storm. Uh, it, it, it was called in, uh, off the coast of Massachusetts there. It was a, officially known as a Halloween Northeastern. And uh, it became known as a perfect storm. If you've read the book, there's a book about it. There's also a movie about it. 
it's a perfect storm. It was a hurricane, I believe it was Gracie, that was kind of going to a, a standstill there. And, and, uh, but anyway, uh, there was another norther over the front and then another uh, front coming in, and it formed together to make the perfect storm. They were saying that uh, in that case of that perfect storm, boats encountered waves of 100 feet. That's a 10-story building, 100 feet. Winds blasted over the ocean over 100 miles an hour. Waves battered the New England coast at 30 to 40 feet, destroying homes and millions of dollars of, of property. Nine people died, including the six-man crew of a swordfish uh, boat named uh, Andrea Gale. And uh, boys, you think about that storm, the perfect storm. I think about today and what fathers and mothers go through. And the storms of this life, the stock market rises and, and, and falls just like a roller coaster. The pictures of corporate executives that we see on television being let off in handcuffs. Violence and death continue in the Middle East and in many parts of the world today. The war on terrorism, uh, the war against students and against children uh, just seems to be rampant in, in our nation. Reports of children being abducted, some of them being abducted in their own homes, is just off the charts. I ask you this morning, Dad, how firm is your anchor? How firm is your anchor? Are you on a solid rock? Is your anchor firm this morning? You see, in these uncertain times and perilous times, some feel like their anchor's okay. They've anchored their self with their 401ks and their IRAs, and they're in, uh, uh, using financial counselors, and all of those things are wonderful. But many who believe their future was tied to Wall Street have been greatly disappointed. How's your anchor doing this morning on that? There are those who've dropped their anchor or hope in the harbor of their employer. Boy, I'm going to tell you, when I was growing up 50, 60 years ago, you got a job. If it was your town at the sawmill, you got a job. You got a good job. You stayed with that job all your life. Now, employers and employees are off and on and off and on. It is a constant time. But some of these people who have stood firm with their company now find themselves unemployed. How, how firm is your anchor when you got that pink slip? We believe that we could anchor our hope in the harbor of America's invulnerability. Well, God bless America, the greatest nation on the face of the earth. And yet, just shortly over 20 years ago, our two largest towers were a bomb through airplanes and we saw terrorist attack and we saw things that we thought we were safe and secure in America in the United States of America how firm is your altar how firm is your anchor now some of you today you've been hammered by the winds of deep hurt you you anchored your life in the harbor of a you thought faithful husband or a faithful wife only to see that relationship ripped off its foundation and your trust shattered and you're beginning to think I don't know if there's anybody else I'll ever be able to trust how firm is your anchor now the dreams of your youth may have served you well but you confidently believe that what you dreamed would be as a child you would become as an adult and you wake up one morning 
at 69 years old and realize you haven't accomplished any of that? How firm is your anchor now? You see, it's no longer a philosophical question, even if it ever has been a philosophical question. But it's a real question this morning. What are you anchored to? Does your anchor hold? I mean, any anchor can hold as long as the wind's not blowing and the storms are not coming. But boy, when you get into a storm, you need an anchor. The best way to find out if the winds of destruction blow it may be too late. In verse 18, the writer here says that we have a strong consolation. That word consolation is a Greek word, paraklesis, which is the same Greek word as a Holy Spirit. We've got a strong consolation. We've got the Holy Spirit inside of us if we're children of God. And that's our strong anchor. It's a strong consolation. A.W. Pink said this of the text. He said, these words are a most glorious message, which is designed to set the hearts of God's children at perfect rest. It's a sign to allay their fears of uncertainty and to strengthen their faith because them to look forward to the future with the most implicit confidence. In other words, the writer of Hebrews is reminding us here that whatever you're fighting this morning, your anchor is strong. If you're anchored in the Lord Jesus Christ, you're anchored good. Now, whatever comes our way. Now, there's three things here quickly, and I won't go until 4 o'clock, I promise. Uh, first of all, in verse 18, the Bible says it's impossible for God to lie. It's impossible. You know, there's, a, there's, a, there's a, a thing you can be absolutely certain about, according to Titus 1-2. God cannot lie. It's not that he has not lied or not that he will not lie. He can't lie. His word is unbreakable. I was so thrilled this week in the Southern Baptist Convention uh, because everyone hollers about we're getting more liberal, we're getting more liberal. Our Baptist Convention, whether you agree with it or not, that's what Baptists believe. We've always believed it. We're people of the book. It doesn't matter what the traditions were. It doesn't matter what anybody's ideas are. What matters is what the Word of God says. And our convention this week, by more than a 96% uh, uh, vote, uh, said we're going to stick with the Word of God, that we do not believe that a woman can be an ordained pastor of a church. Now, that's unheard of in this day and time. It's unheard of. It's not going to be popular. But I want to tell you, the Word of God doesn't wither away. It's settled in heaven. It always has been, always is, and always will be. God cannot lie. I remember that little fifth grader named Johnny. He was always late for school. One morning, it just finally was a straw that broke the camel's back. He came in, and he was two hours late. And he said, I, I left this morning, two hours early, to give me time to fish at the pond and then still come to school and be here on time. But he said, I caught a 17-pound bass. And I had to take the bass back home. My mama would have been mad if I hadn't cleaned it and put it in the freezer. And he said, that's why I'm two hours late getting to school. And the teacher just had it. She said, I've had enough of it. She went down and took him to the principal. He, she said, I'm fed up with it. You deal with it. So she knew what his story was, and she thought, well, the best way to get him is tell a lie so big that he's never heard anything like that. And she said, let me tell you what happened to me on my way to school this morning. 
She said, I was walking to school through the park when I heard something behind me. I turned around, there was a giant grizzly bear, 24 feet tall, had six inch fangs, and he was gonna eat me, Johnny. Just then, a little dog ran out from the bushes, jumped on the bear, killed it, and ate the whole bear right there in front of me. She said, now what do you think of that? Johnny smiled and said, oh yes, my dog Sparky. He said, he's had three bears this week already. Listen, there may be a lot of junk going on and a lot of tall tales, but I want to tell you something. When God says, this is so, this is so. There's a pledge that's given here in verse 14. He said, saying, surely blessing I'll bless thee and multiplying I'll multiply thee. Back over in Genesis chapter 12, God had given Abraham a blessing, seven blessings. He said, I'm going to make you into a great nation. I'm going to make you, uh, I'm going to bless him and make his name great, make him a blessing, bless them that bless thee, and curse them that curse thee, and all of history's families would be blessed through him. That's the pledge that God gave to Abraham. And then he said in verse 12, that ye be not slothful, but followers of them who through faith and patience inherit the promise. There's not a date line to this, but I want to tell you, God, God keeps his promises. Second Peter 1, 4 says that we're given unto us an exceeding great, and precious promises that by these ye might be partakers of the divine nature. Listen to me this morning. God has given us a promise of a divine nature. It, 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 we're not maybe inheriting it right now. We're not seeing the actual fruit of it, but one day we shall see the fruit of it. This book is filled with pledges and promises that God has for us. Someone's counted up. There are 365 promises in the word of God, one for every day of the week every day in the entire year. We've got a pledge, and then there's a pledge that's guaranteed. Look at verse 17. Wherein God, willing more abundantly to show unto the heirs of promise, the immutability of his counsel confirmed it by an oath. That word immutability there simply means that God's uh, promises are unchanging. They're not gonna change. Uh, to say it in another word, another way, if God made a promise, he's gonna keep a promise. If God made it, he's going to keep it. God gave Abraham that promise in Genesis 12, and he confirmed that promise in Genesis 15. And uh, in the Old Testament, in, in Genesis 15, verse 9, listen to what it says. Take me a heifer of three years old, and a she-goat of three years old, and a ram of three years old, and a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. And Abraham took him all of these, divided them in the midst, and laid each piece one against the other. You see, that's called, there, there are actually three covenants in the Old Testament. One's called a covenant of salt, and uh, it was a preserver, and the salt covenant was symbolic that a covenant would be endured and preserved. Then there was a covenant of the sandal. That's found in Ruth 4, 7 and 8. Boaz drew off his shoe to buy a piece of land. But the third covenant was a blood covenant, and it was this kind of covenant that God wrote in Gen Genesis chapter 15. And where, where two people would close a deal, they'd notarize a contract, they would take sacrifices and they would divide them. Then the two would walk between the sacrifices, sealing that covenant there. And when God asked Abraham to take these sacrifices, he was telling him that he was going to guarantee him by his promise, by a blood covenant. But you read, listen, now that's not the exciting part. That's good. That's good. But here's the exciting part. You read the story here, you find something interesting happening here in verse 13. 
For when God made promise to Abraham, because he could swear by no greater, he swore by himself. You see, you say, preacher, what does that mean? Let me try to explain it. I wish somebody helped me preach this morning. What he's saying here is, is that when God made that promise, God and Abraham are going to walk through this thing together. But you see, the sun was setting, and oh, Abraham kind of went to sleep. And what happened is God fulfilled the promise by himself. You know what that means? That means the promises that God has given us aren't dependent upon what we do. It's dependent upon his holiness and character and what he did. Woo, I'm just telling you, that's good now. God was telling Abraham, it don't depend on you, Abraham. Listen, your eternal life don't depend on you. When you figure this out, that you didn't do anything to get eternal life, you'll figure out you can't do anything to lose eternal life. It wasn't up to you. It don't depend on you. Hallelujah. It depends on God. And so I've read that story of Abraham Lincoln in Congress. He was criticized by a friend. He was at a very nice, swayzy, you know, place and uh, Lincoln wouldn't drink any liquor with them. He, he didn't want to test the rare wines. And this guy said, you know, you shouldn't have done that. That's rude. And Lincoln said, well, I mean no disrespect, but I promised my precious mother just a few days before she died that I would never use any more intoxicating liquor. And I consider that promise still binding today. And, he, and the friend said, but the, there's a great difference between a child surrounded by a rough class of drinkers and a man in a home of refinement. Lincoln said, a promise is a promise forever. And when you made it to your mama, it's a double promise. Woo! God give us some more folk like that. A writer of Hebrews spoke of two immutable things in verse 18. Those things are his counsel and his oath. There is a pledge of itself that oath is confirmed, that pledge. It's double binding. Let, let me put it this way. If God's pledged to save you, you can rest assured he'll save you. If God's pledged to secure you, you can rest assured you're secure. If God has pledged to sustain you, he will sustain you. If God has promised to supply your every need, you can take it to, take it to the bank your every need will be supplied. You say it's impossible. Well, God says in Luke 18, 27, all things are possible. You say, I'm too tired. God says in Matthew 11, I'll give you rest. You say, nobody loves me. God says in John 3, 16, I so love the world, I gave my only begotten son. You say, I can't go on. God says in 2 Corinthians 12, 9, my grace is sufficient for thee. You say, I can't do it. God says, you can't do all things through Christ who strengthens you. You say, I'm not able. God says, I am able, 2 Corinthians 9, 8. You say, it's not worth it. God said, the sufferings of this present world are not worthy to be compared with the glory that shall be revealed in us in Romans 8, 17. You say, I can't forgive myself. God said in John 1, 9, 1 John 1, 9, I forgive you. You say, I can't manage. God says, I'll supply all your needs, Philippians 4, 19. You say, I'm afraid. God said, I haven't given you a spirit of fear, 2 Timothy 1, 7. 
You say, I'm at my wit's end, and I don't know what to do. And God says, cast all your care on me. I care for you, 1 Peter 5, 7. You say, I give you, I, I feel all alone. And God says, I'll never leave you nor forsake you in Hebrews 13, 5. My, 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 I don't care where you are, what you're going through this morning. Our God is able. Our God is able. The second thing, though, is this provision is unmovable. You can't move it. In verses 18 and 19, the writer moves from the promises of God to the provision of God. And I, 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 let me hurry here. With grief, I'm behind. It, it, it's a help in the present. It's a help in the present. You see, God's interested what you're going through right now. He's interested where you are right now. He loves you just like you are right now. God, I don't have time to go into it, but God appointed every tribe had land in the Old Testament. But uh, the tribe of Levi had no land. Uh, but they, they were the uh, Levitical tribe, and they had different cities scattered across all of, of Israel. Six of those cities were called cities of refuge. And if you had done something that maybe had been accidentally or, you know, to, to, to keep a family from killing you, if you accidentally killed someone, uh, you, you could run to those cities. Those six cities, uh, Kadesh means righteousness, Shechem means shoulder, Hebron means fellowship, Bezar means fortress, Ramah means heights, and Golan means exiled. Now, here's the amazing thing. Let me hear it real quick. Those six cities and what they mean represent what Christ is to us today. He's our tower that we can run into. When we've done something wrong, we can run to Jesus for refuge. That's what he's saying there. He's our help right now. Right now in this present time. But he's not only our help in this present time, he's our hope in the future time. He, the writer reminds us that we not only find help right here, but verse 19, which hope we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, and which entereth into that within the veil. He tells us our anchor is not anchored in this world, but it's in the very presence of God. That word steadfast talks about the incorruptibility of the anchor. The anchor knows no weakness. It cannot be weakened by anything. Let me give you this last time, last thing. It's unchangeable. The anchor is unchangeable. Ah, what a glorious thought. It, it's unbreakable. It's unchangeable. It's unmovable. But all of it's made possible because of the person that is unchangeable. That's Jesus Christ. That's Jesus Christ. He cannot be rivaled. Verse 19, the anchor of the soul that is sure and steadfast and which entereth into that within the veil. Who is the anchor that has entered within the veil? It's the Lord Jesus Christ. The forerunner for us, he said in verse 20, even Jesus. Now how can you be so sure that the, the, the anchor will hold in the storms and the struggles and the stresses and the problems and the perils and the predicaments and all the discouragements of life? Because the anchor is the Lord Jesus Christ. You cannot rival him. You cannot move him. Uh, I, the writer tells us that Jesus is both our anchor and our forerunner. And then he can't be replaced. He can't be replaced. 
let me just close. I think at the time, Lloyd C. Douglas, he was a renowned uh, uh, violin, violinist teacher, and his student walked in one day, and he said, uh, so what's the word for the day? And Douglas walked over it, picked up a pitchfork, and struck it. You know, it was, he said, that is the word for the day, the key A. It was yesterday, it is today, and it will be tomorrow. Folks, that's exactly what Christ is for us. He was yesterday, he is today, and he will be tomorrow. He will be tomorrow. You say, I've got adversity and affliction. The anchor still holds. I've got burdens and battles. The anchor holds. I've got chaos and confusion. The anchor still holds. I've got discouragement and death. The anchor holds. The enemies and evils. The anchor holds. The foes and the follies. The anchor holds. The grief and the gloom. The anchor holds. The help and the hopelessness. The anchor holds. The loneliness and loss. The anchor holds. Misery, misfortune. The anchor holds. Need, nothing. The anchor holds. Problems, pain, rejection, remorse. The anchor still holds. Stress, struggle, troubles, trials, war and rant. The anchor still holds. It's Jesus Christ. Anchor your life in money. And you're going to get what money can give you. I would just give you some last advice, and I'm through. <laughs> Save money. Save money for your early future. But make sure your soul is saved for eternity through the blood of Jesus. The value of stocks will rise and fall, but the riches of God you possess as a co-heir with Christ Jesus. Earthly friends may prove untrue. But nothing can separate us from the love of God. The jar of clay that now houses your breath of life one day is going to crack and crumble. But in Christ, <laughs> we have a house not built by human hands. Even though you may be wasting away on the outside, in Christ, you're growing stronger day by day. They may take our houses and they may take our land. They may close our bank accounts and they may empty your retirement savings. They can attack our nation, may threaten our lives, may defeat our nation. Disease may riddle our bodies and death beckon to our frame, but nothing can take us from Jesus. I love the third verse of that old song. I told you earlier about the anchor holes. There's an old, old hymn written many years ago and this third verse says this, the song of my soul since the Lord made me whole has been the old story so blessed of Jesus who will save whosoever will a home in the haven of rest I've anchored my soul in the haven of rest I'll sail the white seas no more the tempest may sweep o'er the wide stormy deep, but in Jesus, <laughs> in Jesus, in Jesus, I'm safe evermore. Let me ask you something, Daddy. What are you anchored to? Are you anchored to the Lord Jesus Christ? 
Have you been saved by the blood of Jesus? Because if you haven't, today would be a marvelous day to do that. To say, I, I give up. I can't save myself. I can do a lot of things on my own, and I can be a lot of things, but I, I cannot separate. The, the gulf that separates me from a holy God can only be bridged by one, and that's the cross through Jesus Christ. Maybe this morning you've anchored yourself in many different ways, but today maybe you need to bring your family to this altar and just kneel here, stand here, and say, hey, we're, we're going to anchor ourselves. We're going to re-anchor ourselves. We, we put our anchor down in some things that didn't hold up before. But I want to tell you, Jesus holds up. He holds up. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you this morning again for your anchor. The fact that it holds no matter what we're going through. And I'd ask you, dear Lord, would you just please reach down. There are folk in this place today. Their greatest need is not a better car or a better home or more money. Their greatest need right now is to trust Christ as their Savior and be saved. I pray, Lord Jesus, I, we can't do that. Moms and dads can't do that. Children can't do it for their fathers and mothers. Lord, it, it's through the power of your Holy Spirit. I'm asking the Lord Jesus, fall fresh on this place. Have your way in every life. Maybe there are people here this morning that need a church home. Maybe others just need to recommit their life. Whatever you desire, for us to do. God, would you make it possible right now in the mighty, precious name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.